0: funny, I think Jesse planned the trip because he knew these verses were coming up. It's weird, like we say this is a song, so if you remember from the first message, Jesse said in the top of the Bible, this is sent to the choir master. David wrote this and then sent it to the choir master to be sung, and so for the first like, section we got this sweet, sweet song about God's love, and then it takes a left-hand turn, and the best way I can describe it is it goes into a heavy metal bridge. And like I don't know, like it just takes this turn. Like I can picture them going to sing this. And they're like, oh, this is nice, this is nice. And all of a sudden it takes this like odd turn. And I hear the double bass going and crash cymbals and Scott's loving it. <laughs> but I can just see it's just funny how like how it happens. But lots of commentaries actually try to tell you to take this out. Like this was entered after David wrote this. Like someone entered this in. I don't believe that, I'm going to show you why today, but if we view this as a song, we sort of have to look at the past previous verses of this song to un- get to this point today. If we just started off with this verse, it'd be the most confusing thing ever. So I just want to do a quick recap of what we've gone through so far. And I'm going to repeat a few phrases and repeat a few f- sayings, because this is important. This whole series has been important, that God knows you, and how we life changes. Because of him knowing us. So, if we want to recap, he knows us, and we learned that he chases us and follows us, and then we learned that he created us. So, and this is mind blowing. So, here comes my repetitions God, creator of the universe, mountains shake in his presence. He places stars in his skies, he holds oceans in his hand. He's perfect, he right, he's righteous, but yet he knows you. Each one of you here, he doesn't just know me, he knows you guys. And right there, he, like, he's acquainted with all our ways. He knows our words before they come out. He knows his sermon before I'm giving it. And that's incredible, the God of the universe knows you. And that could be a sermon right there. We could end. He, David could have stopped there. But then he keeps, making, he keeps progressing it to better things. And So the next thing is God, creator of the world, spoke universes into existence, placed the stars in the sky, holds oceans in his hand. He's holy. He's righteous. He chases you. He follows you. So we just progress from him knowing us to him actually following us. And David says, I can go to complete darkness. I can live in complete darkness and yet you're there to light it up if I just recognize it. He can go, he can hop on the wings of the dawn and fly to the farthest, uttermost parts of the ocean and yet God's there waiting for him. That's insane. Will we do that for anyone? Except maybe your spouse or your family. Would you consider chasing anyone else? Like, if Kenny left, I'd probably chase him because I know him well, but like, Would we do that if someone literally just disregarded us, left, and went somewhere? No, but God does that. We can be in the highest of highs, he's there. And then even in the lowest of lows, in hell, in Sheol, he is there waiting for us. And yet it gets better. It gets better. So he progresses it. Here comes repetition again. God, I want you guys to get this, how massive this is and how different we should walk because of this series. Like he knows us. And so next up is he created us. God created the world, spoke universes into existence, placed the stars in the sky, holds the ocean in his hand. He's perfect, he's holy, he, he's righteous. He spent time to create each one of you like a piece of art. If we don't see our value in that, we're missing it. Like He spent time, He knows the hairs on our head, he knows the bones in our body. He saw our formation before we were even in the womb, and he knows you, He created you, and he sees your worth. Isn't that amazing? Is anyone else not like blown away at how like this whole section of verses should make you walk in a new way? It's like God knows me. He created me. Like it, it takes away all our imperfections. It takes away the faults we think we have. I grew up with this English nose. See the side profile? I hate this English nose. My dad's English. I'm half English. And somehow I got the English nose. But now I'm like, wait a second. That's part of me. God created that. He formed those bones that created that. He deviated my septum. So I had to get a septum surgery. But like he did it. And we should be grateful for who we are. He created us, he saw us, he formed us. He said, I know what they're going to be like. He knows our personalities. And so many times we're fighting away from that. We're like, no, this is not who I am. We're trying to change, we're trying to be different, we're trying to fit in. And God's saying, no, do you see your worth? Do you see that I created you? You're a piece of art to me. So much of a piece of art that even if I created you, I sent my son to die for you to get you back from sin. Because I saw your worth. And then Jesse sort of touched on these verses Last week, but I want to touch on verses 17 and 18 real quick again because this blows your mind even more. So God knows us, created us, and chases us. But yeah, in 17 and 18, there's this little phrase where He's God created the world, He spoke universes into existence. I hope you guys will remember this by the end of the day. Places stars in the sky, holds oceans in his hand, mountains shake, he's holy, he's perfect and righteous. He invites you to know his thoughts. So pull up 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God, how vast is the sum of them. And that verse is sort of thrown in as a bridge between the, the weird part of the <laughs> verses we're about to get to. But I think if we don't understand that, we're not going to understand the next part. And so God, is, it's just crazy that David's saying, how precious to me are your thoughts. So God invites us then to know him. Like the world isn't just God knowing us. He invites us to now know him, know his thoughts, know what he thinks about us, know what he thinks about other people around us, know what he thinks about the world around us. And because of that, our lives change. How we view people change, how we view certain situations change. It's insanity. So let's, uh, next uh, in 18. And then it says, how vast are the sons that I can count them. They are more than the sand, I am awake and I am still with you. So, Google's fun, because you can Google things, and this is like, so I was like, hey, how much sand is on the earth right now? And this is an estimate. This is not them, like, figuring it out. Let me read this to you. If you assume that a grain of sand has an average size, and you calculate how many grains are in a teaspoon, and then multiply by all the beaches and the deserts in the world. The earth has roughly, and it's roughly because they don't know the size of sand. It's not all the same. Seven quintillion, five hundred quadrillion grains. I wish that was my bank account. <laughs> like I, just, I was like, But that's insane. And those, those thoughts, I love the part that he says, I'm awake and I am still with you. Those thoughts are going through the night. Those thoughts are going when you wake up. And they never end. And are we tapping into those? And that's like, before we get to this part, I want to just briefly touch on these stats right here. There's a battle for his thoughts. We, we have to constantly battle every day to be, like, okay, God, I'm going to shut up everything else and just connect to you. And it's a battle for me, and I want to show you why. This, where do I set this thing? This stupid cell phone of mine. You know... Daily, this is the average. I'm probably over the average. You spend four hours and fifty minutes on your cell phone. And this is not me, I want to put it aside real quick. This is not me saying cell phones are bad. We need cell phones. If I can't imagine well Martin's my hero. Martin has a flip phone. Anyone else here just have a flip phone? Oh good. Joe March, you guys are my heroes now too. Like to me, I can't imagine living without my cell phone on a break at work where I can look up and read Facebook or read the news can anyone else like picture it's funny (laughs) this is a funny story so we were at Celebrate Recovery one night and we were just talking about things and I'm not going to name the name but he's like yeah I'm getting better at not taking my cell phone to the bathroom Martin's face was like (laughs) because like to him he can't picture that to us that's how we like we're like oh okay it's just funny how we're so connected and yet it disconnects us from relationships it disconnects us from God and so I was like, this is the craziest thing. Yeah. <laughs> and so we have this issue of disconnection with his with his presence. And I'm not saying like I'm saying, I sometimes go on and listen to worship music. That's a good part of having a cell phone. But to be if I'm completely honest, I would make that argument, but I would say that's two percent of the time. And the rest of the time I'm mindlessly scrolling through and I got to the point that it was so bad that I was talking to Martin, and Martin's like, set an alarm on your phone for 9 o'clock to get off your computer and off your phone. Because I was honest with him, I was like, Martin, this is a struggle of mine. Like, I'm up till midnight just mindlessly scrolling through Facebook or, like, watching random YouTube videos that I find funny. And I don't follow that half the time. My alarm goes off, I'm like, Oop, I didn't see it, didn't see it. And because I realized in my heart I was disconnecting, one, from my wife, and from relationships, and two, most importantly, from God. And we see in these verses that he says, my thoughts are always there. It's like a connection. I would liken it to Wi-Fi. That's the, I'll make it relevant for today. There is a Wi-Fi connection of God's thoughts that we can just connect to. And we can see different circumstances differently if we know his thoughts and know his heart. We can see people differently if we know his thoughts and we know his heart. And so there's, do we value it? And I'm going to change some words here real quick. Uh, in the first verse. I'm going to read it like this. How expensive, how rare, how priceless, how prized, how valuable are your thoughts towards me, oh God. So what are we valuing today? Are we valuing his thoughts over everything else? And so I was like, I want to research this a little more because I'm on social media all the time too and apps and like I said, don't view this as me saying get off of that. It's, sometimes Facebook is the only way I can send pictures to my mom of my child and stuff. And so inherently, it's not bad but somehow we seem to like make it our lives and I can't I stopped I quit Facebook for two years and then last year around election time I made the dumb decision of starting my Facebook again it was the worst time to do it I was like oh gosh I I immediately regret this but I was connected again and I was like oh I'm going to type this and hopefully they like it and I'll get likes and I'll get comments and then when no one comments I'm like oh gosh no one likes me and I'm connected to that and those thoughts instead of being connected to God's thoughts, which are always love and kindness towards me and saying you're worth it. And so, once again, this is average. This is average. Just, this is an aside from the real sermon. I just want to like, get this in our heads that we need to connect to God and disconnect from the things that we're connected to. And not all the time, but make time. That's all I'm saying. God wants you to make time. He's always there. You go to sleep. His thoughts are there. Ask for dreams the night his thoughts are always going they're always speaking this is on average and this might blow some people's mind you spend five years and four months total on social media by the end of your life and once again I'm saying I'm probably more than that I've probably amounted that right now (laughs) it's sad and so this is just some funny stuff I found you know what you can do in five years and four months you can fly to the moon and back 32 times And this blows my mind because I'm like, that seems pretty large. You can only walk the Great Wall of China 3.5 times. You can watch, and this might offend some people, you can watch the entire Simpsons series, the entire series up to right now, 215 times. They've been going since the late 80s, early 90s. Marm will enjoy this one. You can climb Mount Everest 32 times. They're also going to enjoy this one. Mike, you ready for this? You can run a marathon 10,000 times. And then this last one's sort of silly. I don't know why it's there. You can walk your dog 93,000 times. For those dog walkers out there. I'm sitting there. I'm going, that's me. That's me. That's my life right now. And those are worldly things you can do in those five years. But like I'm thinking, what am I connecting to? And also in that, are we connecting to what he's saying about us or are we connecting to what we say about ourselves or what other people say about us? And I find myself in situations lots of times like thinking so bad about the situations but then I I read Isaiah 55 and it says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts neither are my ways your ways declares the Lord for as far as the heavens are higher than the earth so are my ways higher than yours and my thoughts than your thoughts. And that just blows my mind because there's perspective there. God outside of time sits above the earth and sees down into our whole life. He's outside of time. We've learned that. He's outside of time. He does, he's not bound by time. And so when we're in situations, and we're in bad circumstances, he sees it and can offer us that perspective that we don't have. I love like getting advice from people like Martin, because he's, he's older than me. He's been there. God's outside of time. <laughs> God's been everywhere, and he's still at the first beginning of it. And so in those struggling moments like we need to realize like to connect to him and connect to his thoughts and get his perspective on our situations or else we're going to keep failing and failing and failing if we and I'm I'm not saying don't go to people for advice go to godly people for advice cuz they know the thoughts of God and so I just really challenging myself today hear me out this is not anger this is oh man what am I spending my time on like Am I connecting to him through prayer, through worship, through reading the word, or am I connecting through a mindless scroll through Facebook? And so I just want to challenge you, but because of that, because we have the option to know his thoughts and because he invites us to know his thoughts, then we can get to this tough part of these verses and realize, it will make sense. If we know his thoughts, we're really going to pray this uh, out. So turn with me to Psalms 139,19 uh, through22 is where we're going to go. Let me know you, I'll get an amen when you guys are there. I need some participation. Oh, good. I'm taking a water break. So we get to this, and once again, I just want you to picture like them singing this sweet first half of the psalms, and then they get to this, and they're going, what the, <laughs> David, what were you thinking there? And I love the song, How He Loves Us. This is the comedian in me. Like, How He Loves Us has that line, heaven meets earth, like a sloppy wet kiss. People freaked out about that line just because, like, the imagery. Some people are like, ugh. And so they, most writers change that in worship settings. We still sing Sloppy West Kiss here. But I can imagine, like, us now getting this song from David, and we get to this point, and we're like, man, David, we're going to have to cut out these verses. Like, they don't make sense to us. But if you put it in context and you add knowing God into it, they make perfect sense. So we'll start at 19. Be ready. Buckle your seatbelts. Oh, God, that you would slay the wicked. O oh, men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Whoa. Like, I got scared when Jesse was like, these are your verses. I was like... Like, I didn't know what to do with it. And then I was like, wait, remember in context of the whole verse, remember in the context historically of who David was and what he was going against. And so the first thing, this is actually one of 11 verses in the Psalms where David calls down judgment and sort of says, God, take care of this. And so they're there, they're real. Jesus actually quotes from some of these Psalms, like not the main parts, but he goes around them. Paul uses them too, so we can't discount them as not God. So, then what do we do with these verses? It'd be easy to be like, yeah, I'm just going to read this, and then we're going to go out and we're going to take over everybody. Slay the wicked Lord! Like, <laughs> it's just not us, it's not God. And so, we have to realize, like, what he was trying to say in this. And one thing is, the first thing I challenge you to do is remember that we were once wicked. Like, so our perspective comes from once being in this group of wicked people, and then. God sent his son to reconcile us. And his son wasn't sent with a sword. His son was sent to die. And people were expecting some great overthrow of Rome at the time. They're like, oh, this is the king coming. We're going to slay people. We're going to take over. And God's saying it's the opposite. It's love and forgiveness. And so we first have to view that we were once wicked. And so we view this in that light. And another easy thing, I was like reading this. I was like, man, does God want us to hate our enemies now? Like David says, I hate them. Hate people who are against you. No. No, this is not a call to be like mad at people you don't like. This is not a call to hate people you don't like and try to call down fire on them. We saw how the disciples that worked out for the disciples. Jesus had to rebuke all of them because they tried to call down fire on people that wouldn't listen to him. Like Jesus, is like that's not how I'm doing it this <laughs> this way. Like the, and so we actually see it's funny. David, in other psalms, actually prayed for the wicked and goes even as far to say, Lord. They were paying me evil for good. Like he was offering every good thing and they still was evil. And he says, but when they were sick, I wore sackcloth. Which is insane to me. Would you, like when your enemy was sick, would you mourn for him? No, but David realized that the way to do this is love and then to trust God that he's the final judge in all of this. And so it's just funny that if we were to like judge, if God gave us the like power, to be like, okay, you guys can judge the wicked. What kind of earth? I'd be dead? We'd all be dead by now. They're like, hey, we can freely slay the wicked. We'd all be dead at some point. We've all done something worth dying for. And so we have to trust that God is the final judge in all of this. That we can't be taking this upon ourselves. David didn't say, okay, God, I'm going to go out and slay the wicked in your name. He said, God, will you do this? And the cool part about that also is that God cares about us enough to like, okay, like, I'll judge righteousness. And that judging might not just be death. It might be conviction. And our love can judge someone. The strongest thing you can do to someone that hates you is just keep loving them. I call it killing them with kindness. Like, you kill them with kindness until they turn and go, man, this person's done so much good for me, I'm going to turn from my ways. That's righteousness, and that's judgment on that person. And we also have to take into account, David was a king of a nation whose other nations were after him. We have no one trying to kill us right now. If you do find help, go to the police, but we have no active nations of armies trying to kill us. So David historically in that context was like, "God, they're all after me and they're saying that you're not God." Like the nation of Israel was saying God is the only God, and these other nations were like, "We have tons of gods. We're going to kill you and he's not God." And so, part of this cry and this prayer, we have to look at it in the historical context. Of David had actual people coming after him to kill him, and so he was worried for his life. And I say, like, it's hard in those situations. God could judge people. There's a story I was reading a book recently. Uh, it was by David Platt. He's a great pastor. His book's called Radical. Actually, you guys should all read it. It's really good. It's about like how the American dream is taking over the church. Maybe you don't like that, but I liked it. And I was like, man, this is so good. Like we've Americanized Christianity so much that we're missing the point of Jesus coming as a lowly, humble servant. But in this, he's talking about the story there's a missionary in Africa and one day people came rushing to him and, say, and said, hey, the witch doctor's, witch doctor's coming because you're taking away his business and he's coming to kill you and curse you. And so the guy doesn't know what to do and he could easily just have prayed these verses and like, or went out and tried to take action himself. So he, he prays, he asks God for protection and help he goes to meet the witch doctor he confronts him out front the witch doctor goes to make his curse like goes to start saying it chokes and dies and we can't count that as god like being cruel but that was god protecting him in that time and taking care of wickedness but if you notice he didn't do anything he didn't like count the guy as wicked he went out just to confront him he didn't go out saying this guy's wicked let's take care of him let's do this on our own let's judge him on our own let's put him in court let's kill him he just trusted that God in his, in his righteous mindset would judge righteously on that situation. And that may blow your mind, and maybe that only happens in Africa. But like God is there, we read through all these things, and we see that he hems us in behind and before. So he's protecting us. And if we don't call upon that protection in times of trouble, we're missing out on an opportunity for God to do something. And it might, I mean, I pray that there's no point where a guy's coming to curse your life and kill you, that you have to like like, please God, please God, please God, <laughs> like and get help but like God's there to protect us so it's also like a prayer of protection and we're not expecting like I like I'm not saying you don't go in this with malicious intent that God will actually slay someone that's not the point of these verses in today's context Jesus came and said love and forgive and then I'll protect you and we see that like with the disciples and them being martyred they never once were like God slay these people Wow, it was weird. They went and they prayed and they died for Jesus. And we even see Jesus on the cross. They're like, why aren't you calling the angels down from heaven to kill everyone here? And that's not the plan. That's not the plan. This is also, we can view this spiritually. And Paul says we wrestle not against flesh and blood but we wrestle against the principalities and powers of the air. There is a literal spiritual battle going on right now. We see it in racism. That's demonic. It's antichrist-like. And we see we have things that come up against us and the devil is constantly trying to lie, steal, kill, and destroy. I give you full permission to pray that God slays Satan and his demons in your situations. Because that's easy. And so this verse can also be viewed spiritually. There's a battle going on right now, and God is fighting it. In fact, he's already defeated the devil. The devil doesn't realize it yet. He's just like walking around thinking he can still control us. But this is an invitation to partake of that battle and to the fight with the Lord against the spiritual things. And then this is also a prophetic declaration of like the last day judgment. That's what most commentaries think this is. Uh, They think David somehow saw the end and was like, okay, Lord, you're going to judge in the end. I'm calling that down right now over these people as well. And this is from John Piper. Uh, This quote I'm about to read. We will grant to the psalmist, David, who speaks under the guidance of the Holy Spirit as a foreshadowed Messiah and judge the right to call down judgment on the enemies of God. This is not personal vindictiveness it is a prophetic execution of what will really happen at the last day when God casts out all his enemies into the lake of fire. We would do well to do, leave such final assessments to God and realize our own corrupt inability to hate as we ought. While there is unforgivable sin, we are told to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us and return good for evil as David did. This is a vocation by faith. Let us tremble and trust God and get this less... We fail and find ourselves on the other side of the curse. And that's scary because we can turn this personally and make a vindictive statement of going out and like judging people. We're gonna end up on the other side of this thing in the end if we're like that. Jesus commanded us to love our enemies. And it's tough. I, I like I think that's one of the toughest commandments, because like we really don't have like real enemies, but we have people that annoy us and we're like, this is tough. This is tough, but that's the command here. And it'd be funny, I mean, wouldn't it be funny, it'd be sad if we're using these verses, like at my coworker at work that doesn't do work and gives it all to me, I'm like, Lord, slay the wicked. Like, I under my breath, Lord, slay the wicked. <laughs> Please. When, in turn, I should love and do the work he gives me, even though he's not doing any work, and love him and show that, and maybe he'll become saved because of that. And so this is about trusting God as a final righteous judge But still not standing with wickedness. So this whole thing, this whole recap, we've seen that God is for us. So then this whole thing about wickedness is are we for him? Are we for the things he stands against? Like are we going to him and saying, okay, you're holy, you're righteous. Are we against what you're against as well? And so we have to take a stand against wickedness. Because if we encounter his thoughts and we know his thoughts and he's speaking to us and we're in his presence and his presence is always there and he's holy, it's inevitable that we're going to be like, wait, you're holy. This thing I'm doing isn't holy. These things people are doing aren't righteous. I'm not going to take a part of that. I'm still going to love them, but I'm not going to affirm that wickedness. I'm not going to like partner with it. I'm for you, God. And so are we for him today? And I love how it sort of wraps up in this good thing where David sort of realizes, wait a second, I should pray this about me too, or else I might be wicked as well. So if you turn uh, verses 23 and 24. And this is a verse that is beautifully drawn up on our chalkboard or the cafe over there. It says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way to the everlasting. And so we know that God's for us. We know that there's wickedness in the world. And then we also have to realize there might be wickedness in our hearts and that we might not even recognize. I I laugh about it all the time at Celebrate. I'm going to do a quick commercial for celebrate. But like it's funny how we read these things about God knowing our every thought and yet we still try to escape those things that we know are bad and like eh, and try to hide them as if God's not going to find out about it. And so we hide up all these hurts, habits, hang-ups, addictions, problems and we're like God's not going to know about this. And then it causes us to crash and burn. And I love in like celebrate. I've been doing it for a year and a half now. Like there's things I didn't know that were a problem. After asking God to search my heart and like walking through it with people I celebrate, I'm like, "This is a problem. I'm selfish. Like, I'm like, this is a huge problem. Like, and so it's an invitation for God to search your heart. One, because He knows it better than you know. It. There might be things deep down, hidden inside that are called that are wicked and not righteous that only He can find. Maybe you forgot about it in the past. And this is the invitation saying, God, search my heart. Make sure I'm not on the opposite side of this curse. Make sure I'm not wicked. And the best part is, because of Jesus, we can partner with his sanctification of our life. Like, I, don't, I mean, David might have been prophetic here, but I don't know how before Jesus, how David was like, oh, there's a way of salvation here. But we have that way of salvation now. It's Christ. And so when we invite God to search our hearts and know us, which is funny because David starts off the Psalms by saying, God, you know me. But then he realizes, maybe I don't realize that God knows me. So there's things I have to say, God, find this in me and take it out of me and lead me in the way of Christ and the way of the everlasting and eternal life. And so we invite God and we partner with him for his sanctification. And I love uh, just how God works in this. Like It's just funny how like David like somehow realized? Wait a second, I, have a, I think Jesus talked about the plank being in our own eye. We can't like call out a speck in someone's eye and not realize that maybe we have something bigger, some wickedness, some sin in our lives that are bigger than what we're calling out. And He's calling us today to not be hypocrites. Like it'd be it'd be terrible to read that verse and like to proclaim judgment and then not think you're involved somehow in that. Like God, Search us, God. Know us, Lord. Know our hearts. Tell us what we're doing wrong. Tell us any sin we have in our hearts, anything unrighteous in our hearts, and then lead us. This is a partnering. We partner with him to lead us into the way of salvation and lead us through these thoughts and these habits and these hurts, and he'll lead us there. And then it all comes down to just having a pure heart. I love the Beatitudes, and I love that verse about the pure heart, and I actually think the, the Message Bible actually says it in a cool way. Uh, it's Matthew 5.8. And he says, you're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. And so when we realize that we're wicked, when we realize that we have things in us and we ask God to partner with us and give us a pure heart and a pure mind, then we can start seeing God move in the outside world. And I like like knowing that like I'm selfish. I can help someone that's selfish. I can say, okay. That's not them. That's an issue they have, a wickedness they have. But I was like that too, and so it helps us view people better when we have a pure heart. We say, God, please come cleanse our hearts, so we can see people in Your light, not in our light. And that's a challenge. But uh, can I just give it? I forgot to give this at the beginning. I have a quick little testimony about this. Uh, these sets of verses. And then we're actually going to go into communion to close out. Uh, worship team can come on up. But, and this is a testimony not about me, but I was involved in it. Just, And you'll see how God works. But we're going through this series, and we're knowing that God sees us, knows us, chases us, and, and protects us. And we're, if we're for him, he's for us as well. And so the, it was three weeks ago. I was leading worship at home group over at the house next door. Uh, and we closed. We didn't, uh, people left. I was about to leave, but I was like, I need to practice this one song. Like, it was in my head, so I was like, I'm going to try to it, figure it out. So I'm sitting there playing the song, and Robert goes, hey, can you just lead worship like a few more times? It was just me, him, and Will at the time. And so I was like, okay, sure. So I, I, lead, we, uh, I was singing Reckless Love, the song we did last week. I let it. We prayed, and so I'm leaving home group like an hour later than I usually would. So that's the one interesting fact about this. I would I've left at like ten instead of leaving at nine. So I, if this was another week, I wouldn't have been where I was at this time. So I'm driving down Main Avenue, and I get to the split of Providence and Maine, where the Dunkin' Donuts is there, the gas station stuff is, and I look up. And this guy is crossing the street, and a car is not stopping. And he gets hit by the car. And so people stop. Luckily, the guy that hit him stops, and, like, they start directing traffic. So I, in my head, I'm like, just go, Ben. People have this. Just leave. You can go home this way. And, like, I felt the Lord say, no, pull over. So I pull into the gas station, and I look over, and people are directing. They're asking the guy. Dunkin' Donuts employee ran out to give him ice and stuff. And I was like, hey, man, are you all right? And he's like, I can't feel my legs. I can't, like, I, I'm in pain. And the car wasn't going that fast. It was like a, a 20 miles per hour. But it still hurts to be hit by a car. And so I'm like, what do I do? I can hear the sirens coming. Like and so the, my reaction was I turned, Everyone, like, people are gathered. And I said, you know what, guys? And, I, I was, and this is the only way I could describe it at the time, so it wouldn't make me look weird. I'm like, I'm a pastor at a local church. Let's pray. And so I got down on my hands and knees. This guy's name is Derek. And I said, Derek, do you mind if I pray for you? And he's like, yeah. And I wish I could say, like, I was like, get up. (laughs) I, like, lifted him up, and he was fine. But at that moment, I recalled what we were going through. And so I was like, I started praying. I was like, Lord, thank you for Derek. Thank you that you know Derek, that his life didn't end tonight, that you have a plan for his life. I started just speaking destiny into Derek. And I get up. I say amen. People are gathered around. They're like, That's awesome. And so I was like, we, I'm from City Lights Church, just to try to get people to come. But, like, by then, the cops had come. And I was like, Lord, like, and I was just going home in amazement. One, the Lord had me stay later at home group. I wouldn't have been there. I'd go home, like, I want to sleep. But Robert was like, hey, let's play worship one more time. So I was like, okay. So, like, God knew where I was going to be. But more importantly, God knew Derek, and saw him, and I pray for him daily now because I'm like, man, I hope that impacted him. And it was just cool how God knows you. That's not a sign that God knows you. That guy, I don't think he was a Christian. I didn't ask him. But, like, he was so, like, mesmerized. And people around me were like, what was that? That was awesome. Some guy, like, hugged me. I was like, that was the best thing ever. And I was like, okay, sweet. But, like, God knows people. And when we have that chance with a pure heart, instead of looking at people with judgment, and thinking that they're wicked, we have a chance to call forth the destiny in them that God has planned for them. And so that's why we have to view those verses as crazy. Like, I was scared. I really was when I had to tackle these verses. I was like, Lord, how do I do this? Because I, I, it's not about hate anymore. It's not about slaying people anymore. It's about you being the righteous judge. And you judged my heart. And you called me clean because of your son. So how do we view this in today's light? And so that's the best way I can describe it. We need to ask God to search our hearts, one, to take out any form of like, hatred or judgment we have. And I'm going to call it any form of racism or hate we have in our hearts. That's not supposed to be there. It's anti-Christ-like. And this, it's so scary, this thing in Virginia, because it, it just shows evilness. You see pure evil. And you're like, wow, this is like a terrible thing. But like, that might be embedded in my heart. I have prejudices against people, not of color, but I have, like, make myself don't like certain people. That's still hate. And God's saying, have a pure heart so you can view them as I view them. And so, we're going to go into a time of communion, but I just want to read this. It's, it's so crazy to think about all this in light of Jesus. Like, if we read these verses with Jesus in mind that he came and now we have like full access, and David was like prophesying back then because I mean, back then they had the Ark of the Covenant where you had to go into a room to access God, but David was still saying, You're there wherever I go, God. But today we have that access to God. And with that, that's part of communion. Like God knows us, he cares about us, he creates us, he invites us to know him. Why? Because he wants relationship with you. And this whole communion thing is about relationship. It's to remember that he sent his son to die for us for relationship. And so this is a, a pastor named Brian Zand. I was actually finishing reading his book. It's called From Water to Wine. But he puts this in his book, and I took a picture of it, so if I can't read it right, it's because I didn't feel like typing it out. But he talks about communion, and says, this is the quote from it: the risen Christ did not appear at the temple, but at a meal table. The center of God's activity had shifted. It was no longer the temple, but the table that was holiest of all. The church would do well to think of itself, not so much as a kind of temple, but as a kind of table. The temple is hierarchical. The table is egalitarian. The temple is authoritarian, but the table is affirming. The table is relaxed and family style. That's what God meant this to do. He didn't want to make it some uptight church service where you come once a week and give our dues and like pray. He meant this to be a relationship, one with him and through that relationship with others. I'm a big fan of community. I love these things we're doing for the colleges. I love home groups. That's why we have that survey over there because we want to bring community into this church. We don't want anyone to feel like they're left out or alone. Why? Because God didn't want that because he sent his son. And so I just encourage you, if you guys want to stand up, we're going to do communion a little differently today. You can come get your stuff, and I encourage you, as they go into worship, they're actually going to sing uh, the second song we did about God being the truth and the way and the life. And when we declare a stand against wickedness, we're technically just declaring, God, you're the only way, and you're the truth and you're the life. Everything against that is not you, and that's actually wickedness, and that's unrighteousness. And so I invite you up to the table I invite you just to take the elements as the body of Christ broken for you and the blood of Jesus spilled for you. And I invite you just to go back as they go into worship and just ask God to search your heart. And say, Lord, is there anything in there like that's blocking me from like a better relationship with people? Anything in there that's making me view people in the wrong light? Anything in there that's just not holy and not righteous and then also just proclaim that you are for him and not against him. Say, God, we take this because you showed us that you're for us by sending your son. You're for us. And so we're for you today. We, we take a stand against wickedness in this nation and we pray that in the end, you are the final judge in this, Lord. And this, the second thing, seek relationship with him. Disconnect from those things that you're connected to that are disconnecting you from him. And say, God, I'm gonna spend more time. It's not a re- religious thing. It's about relationship. And we've seen that God is always about relationships, so he invites you to a relationship with him, which is mind blowing. Why would a God outside of time want to spend time with each one of us personally? It changes every. No other religion can say that about their God. We can say that about our God, that he actually came down to want relationship with each of us personally. And it changes the way we walk, it changes the way we talk, it changes the way we encounter people, but God is saying, know me. I invite you, I know you, here's the invitation in, know me, stand with me, know me, know my heart. When we know his heart, we can go out in love and peace and break down the walls in this country and in the world. So I invite you now, you can come up. So after you take it, just go back to your seat. We're going to sing this worship song. And you can just take it by yourself. After you pray those prayers, after you think about what God has done for you, just take it yourself. Uh, it can You don't have to take it all at once. You can like take the bread and pray some more. Take the cup, pray some more. But just to invite God to search your heart and to know you and then seek relationship with him in this time because it's all about relationship. He came for a relationship. So you guys can come up.